The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live on the Autism Network. I just love our new opener. want to remind everybody that that opener was made start to finish, top to bottom, including the music and all the animation and the concept uh, by artists that are hashtag actually autistic. So we have, and they got paid. So we love that. We're trying to walk our talk here and be um, all the things that we expect other people to be. I am one. Hi, hello, good morning, how are you? We are live right now on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. We hope that you'll join us on whichever platform is convenient for you. And if you're watching us live, it is Monday morning. It is, what is it, the 21st. I have to look at the date. The 21st of February, and the year is 2022. Uh, 2022. I'm, I'm, I'm noticing that tomorrow will be 2-22-22. Two is my favorite number and 22 is my lucky number. So I, I need to buy lottery tickets tomorrow. Uh, Traven says his two. Okay, Traven, clearly we have to do a live show from Vegas tomorrow. <laughs> reschedule. Let's go to Vegas. Uh, hello, Michelle. How are you? No, Michael. Michael, hello. Uh, Holly is with us. We're so glad that you're here. And Dark Angel is with us. And Dark Angel, you have a four-year-old today. Will you please tell them happy birthday from us? We absolutely love that. Four is a great age. Man, it's a great age. It's great to be here. Jacinda is here as well. Look at all these people we got in the house. Ka, good morning. So thrilled that you guys are all here with us. That's how you do it. If you're watching us on Facebook, on YouTube, or Twitter, you can just write in on those platforms and it will show up right here. But we're live on other platforms as well. Traven's our fabulous Traven, whose lucky number is two and likes two numbers. Uh, hey, Jacob. Glad to have you here with us. Anyway, Trayvon's going to show you some of the different ways that you can be watching the show live or catching us in podcasts. We are a podcast that's available as a free download wherever you get your podcasts. We are the number one rated autism podcast. And look, that's because of you guys. That is entirely because of you guys. Oh, Holly, that's so sweet. She says, I learned so much from you and I learned so much from you. So there, uh, it's a it's a good symbiotic re relationship. Wait. We're going to talk about some stuff today. Woo! We're all going to learn today. We're going to sit in the front row of the classroom today, all of us. Hello, Amy. So thrilled to have you. Dark Angel says, my four-year-old needs challenging toys and I have no idea what to buy for him. Oh, Dark Angel, have you come to the right place? Because, you know, I love me some toys. It's like my hobby. And uh, if you haven't already, toodle over to our, uh, if you go to autismnetwork.com and there's the toy guide if you click on that, you can go down and you can go by developmental age. Uh, but I would encourage you to look in other categories too, because there are some things that are appropriate for age four in pretty much every category. Um, but take a look at some of those and then write in to me and tell me like, what kinds of things do you want to work on and what kinds of things does he love? And then I'd be happy to make some four-year-old toy recommendations. Uh, Holly says, I just rewatched your training from DT. I, uh, 
I am, I'm not sure what that means. Uh, DT, tell me more because I'm not, I'm, it's not connecting in my head. Renata, greetings from Lithuania. How exciting is that? So thrilled that you're here. I love it when we have our international audience. And I, and even if you're here in the United States, I love to know where you guys are because I am geographically not entirely with it. Uh, Brenda, oh, from Discovery Toys. Oh, thank you, Holly. That Yes, thank you. That's what I wasn't connecting. I love me some Discovery Toys. And that's another place, um, Dark Angel, that I would encourage you to look at because they have so many of our winners. Discovery Toys, you know what you can do? You can find a, a, a dealer and have a party and, and have it online. Just say, I want to have an online party. And then you tell your friends and they'll, they'll show toys online and everybody gets to see them and everybody's excited and people will buy toys because they're good and books. They have good books too. And then you get credits for it that then you can apply and get more toys for your child. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, oh, Holly says I'm in Northern Kentucky near the uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. I love that. And Sarah is joining us from the UAE. We super love that. Uh, and Holly is here, says I'd love to connect with anyone for toys. Um, they found discovery toys for their four-year-old autistic daughter. So there you go. Connect, connect, you see, connect. I think one of you is watching on Facebook and uh, and Dark Angel is watching on YouTube. So, um, but Holly is watching on Facebook. But you can you can join the other on the other platform if you'd like to. There we go. Jacinda, you're watching from Long Beach, California, and I am one in North Carolina. We absolutely love that. Okay, I feel this warmth today that you guys are all all here with us all together. It's really wonderful. And I'm excited because we got some things we're going to be talking about today. So in any case, write in in uh, whatever way that you want, if you've got questions, comments, but oof, I just want to tell you a lot of times we have experts that are on the show that are just, you know, blow your mind. We've got a great one for you here today. And I, she's been on the show before in many different ways, but I don't know if we've had just her her on the show before because we've had her with lots of other people. Uh, Ka is in Santa Clara, California, where I'm going to be in about a week and a half. I'm there where they're having a conference there and I'm coming, I'm on a panel there. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be in your backyard for a couple of days. Uh, Jacinda, you don't have to miss me. She says, miss you. You don't have to, I'm right here. And and even when I'm not here, I'm on YouTube. You can, there's too many hours of me to catch on YouTube. There's no reason to miss me ever. Uh, Maria is listening from Auburn, Alabama. I love it, love it, love it. BL says, my five-year-old is nonverbal. Hang on, because guess what our jargon of the day is today? We're going to be talking about that. She understands when I talk to her. Okay, we're going we're gonna to fill in on that. And Dark Angel watching from Calgary, Canada. And Holly, uh, Holly, I'm so glad that you're here. I was just talking about you the other day, uh, jumping on from Facebook. Um, okay, so, and I see that uh, Holly and um, and Dark Angel, you guys are having your own conversation, and that's good. You do that. Uh, Sarah says, hey, Shannon, tell us a hopeful story about your autistic son. Spread that hope. Um, can I tell you that, this morning, I, because uh, every day is, is one of those days where I go, oh my gosh, is this really my life? I didn't think that this was really my life. And I, I shared this the other day that when, when we started doing this show, my son was seven. 
uh, and now he's 18, right? But even when he was seven and he was doing so well, it was sort of this uncharted territory, like where are we trying to go? And I remember um, early on, I um, my son was treated at CARD, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And I kept bugging them because at that point, you didn't meet other families. When you, you had therapy at home back in those days. And, and so you would see your therapist and you would come once every two weeks for a clinic at the center and they would take you into a room and you didn't see anybody else. You didn't see other kids. You didn't see other parents. And I was just longing for, you know, some sense of belonging. Um, and I wanted to, you know, trade stories and say, how's your kid doing? What are you doing? I didn't have my community in, in line. And, um, and I kept bugging them about it. And finally it was Halloween. And I said, you know, can you, can you like do, can we do trick or treating here? Like we'd like to meet other people. Like what is up with this? And, and they felt like people wanted anonymity. And I was like, no, some people want anonymity. <laughs> the rest of us want fellowship. We want, we want to hold hands through this. And, um, so they, they had a Halloween thing and they, in, and they did a big performance. They, they had learned a bunch during their lunchtime, they had learned the steps to thriller and they were all dressed in the thriller costumes. It was so exciting. And, um, they were just starting skills then. And so I was talking to, um, some of the people that were working on skills and I was talking to this young man and who was just tall and handsome and articulate. And he was telling me about skills. And, and uh, there was another gentleman who was standing next to him who was talking about it as well. And then at a certain point, um, I was asking what their positions were and how they got into autism and all this. And the, the first young man that I was talking to, the younger of the two said, oh, well, I was treated at CARD. Dr. Grampiche treated me. And I was like, for what? You know, and he said, oh, no, I was diagnosed um, as being on the spectrum when I was two. And back in whatever year, um, Dr. Grampiche um, treated me. And then we reconnected after I graduated from college. And I was like, mm, excuse me, step closer to me and spread yourself upon me. What are you telling me? And I was like, were you one of those kids that was, you know, because he'd already told me he was diagnosed at two. I was like, were you just like always verbal? He goes, oh, no, no, I was nonverbal. And she started treating me at two. And I lost all of my mind. And I called my husband over and I said, just, you know, hang out and talk with this young man for a while. His name was Joe. And I said, talk to Joe for a while. So my husband was talking to Joe and, you know, they were having the whole conversation. And I and then um, I pulled my husband off to the side and said to him, um, what you think? And he goes, about what? <laughs> and I said, what you think of Joe? He goes, am I missing something? Joe was great. Like, is there something I'm supposed to know? And I said, Joe was diagnosed at two. And he said, with what? <laughs> I said, autism. He goes, like our kid autism? And I said, Yes. And I said, he works here now and he has a degree and, and my husband had to sit down. He was having like, you know, chest pains. He had to sit down. He was like, what, what? And, and I was like, I know, let's get you a drink of water. Let's have you sit down. And that was so far away for us at a certain point. And today I had to drop my son off uh, because he's taking, he's, he's going to college, but close, but the campus has been closed and now it's a little bit open and whatever. So I had to drive him and drop him off um, for his college class. 
And, and on the way back, I was like, how did we get here? How did we get here? But I am living now in a reality that at that time when I met Joe, I didn't know existed, right? But I'm living there now. And how do you get there? One step at a time. One step at a time and a lot of work and a lot of patience and a lot of checking. You know, I always say to you that when a plane takes off from Los Angeles to get to New York, 99% of the time it's off course because that's what happens. It drifts, the wind, you know, and then they just course correct and they go, oh, we got, oh, let's check. Let's check the coordinates. Let's go over here. Oh, now we're off again. We're going to swing back that way. And that that is uh, what we did um, for autism. So just know one day at a time and everybody ends up in a different place, but uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that are possible. So I love all the things that you guys are writing in and you're connecting. Hello, American Amy. I know I saw some blue hearts in there too. And uh, so uh, I see that Maria is watching and who else have we got here? Uh, Michelle that I didn't say hello to and American Amy, Erica from Monterey, Mexico. How fabulous. There's Amanda. I see your blue hearts. And, um, okay. So I am one, your question about how do I mask for the job interview? We already pre-taped tomorrow's Dr. Doreen show because she's not able to be here tomorrow. And we had her answer that question. All the questions that you guys had sent in last week, we had her answer all of them. That's going to air tomorrow. So don't miss because she had some really good things to say about that. All right. Uh, Jacob, I see you there too. Uh, I would love it if you sent some artwork. Um, please feel free to send that in. Uh, Ka says a lot of advocating. I feel like I'm constantly told no, that my son isn't able to do something, but how do they know as they never try work with him? Yeah. You know, uh, Maya Angelou always said, never take a no from someone who wasn't authorized to give you a yes. And where our kids are concerned, why would we listen to someone if they're saying your child can't do that? That's, yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, Yara MS, so thrilled that you're here. Merlin is listening from Richmond, Richmond, Michigan. I am just loving. Francis is watching from Longville, Georgia. Uh, Elmira uh, is watching from Florida. Lindsay is watching from Scotland. Uh, I am so thrilled to be L. Is it safe to give a five-year-old a pacifier? I don't think it, as long as it's um, food grade, I don't think it's about safety. I think it's about if a five-year-old is sucking on a pacifier, then they're not going to be using the things to get to the speech. So I think you want to be mindful about that. Um, but you don't ever want to just, if they're used to the pacifier, you don't want to be ripping stuff out. You want to give them other things. But by the way, there's jewelry. You can go from a pacifier to jewelry, which can you know be around their neck and it has a safety so that if you pull on it, it comes undone. They can't be strangled by it. Love it. Um, look up jewelry, um, and that might be an appropriate thing to transition to, but we want to make sure that because, you know, a pacifier will work on certain oral motor things, but it's not going to work on all the things that you need to get to speech. Um, I, uh, Jacob, your question is, if email doesn't work, would Instagram work? 
Um, I think for sending the, the, the photos, Traven, I don't know. Can you answer that? Because I'm not sure that I know the answer to that question. Hey, we've got a great guest today and I want to get to that. So let's, and, and I've got this big thing planned to talk about what our jargon of the day is today. So you ready? Let me just say that our special guest today that we're going to have joining us in just a few minutes, she's already waiting in the wings, Summer, and I, and I, I still want to call her Summer Dabs, but she's Summer Hauser now an amazing OT. I keep promising you guys, I'm going to bring you fabulous things and like from OT and speech. And today I've got the most fabulous OT for you. So we're going to be talking about that, but we got to back up for a second and do jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are the experts talking about? Why should we care about this? I really had planned this big, long talk about this, but we're not going to make it that long because we've had so many people write in. Romina, hi from Malta. Okay, so our jargon today is nonverbal behaviors. All right, everybody hang on because we're going to get a little controversial here because there, if you just look up nonverbal in the dictionary, the regular dictionary, it's going to say not using speech. But I want to introduce to you a different way of looking at this. So I'm going to give you E.F. Skinner's definition, and I'm going to tell you why in a second. But let's go to the actual uh, definition of what B.F. Skinner says about verbal behavior, because the absence of this would be nonverbal, right? So verbal behavior is behavior reinforced through the mediation of other persons who must be responding in ways which have been conditioned precisely in order to reinforce the behavior of the speaker. Yeah, that's on page 225 of verbal behavior. And that's why we don't all just quote verbal behavior because it's a little dense. But let me break it down for you. Why do some people speak and why do other people not speak? Well, first of all, it, you know, I got to ask you, what is your foundational belief about what communication is and what language is? Because if we stick with this thing about, well, uh, you know, uh, being verbal is being vocal, it's a very narrow window and it doesn't feel very precise to me. If you read verbal behavior, which I don't really recommend because it's super duper dense, but it, but in verbal behavior, and this is where Skinner started changing the way we looked at communication because he said that only 18% of how communicate is vocal. And that's in the neurotypical world that 18% of how we communicate with each other is vocal and that there's a whole world of communication that is not vocal. When I, you know, talk to you and I go, it's communication, right? If I go like this, that is communication. If I go, that's communication, right? It isn't all tied to the, to vocal sound. And so Skinner said, if we look at this and go, what does all of this have in common? What we begin to see is that communication, it's a string of behaviors. And here's why that was exciting to me as a parent of a child who wasn't speaking. Because behaviors are things that we can learn. Behaviors are things that we can perfect. Some people are just amazing. You put a pair of skates on them and they get on the ice and they can skate. That doesn't mean that they're going to the Olympics, 
but there's an affinity there, right? There's something raw talent to be worked with and then we we work on it. There are other people who put the skates on and they're not good at it, but they go, I want to be good at it. So they also take the lessons alongside the person who has the affinity for it. And you know, sometimes the tortoise passes the hare. There are people who aren't good at something but work on it, work on it, and work on it and get better at it than the people who had the affinity with it because they're working on chains of behavior. Now, that's not sexy. When you say, well, let's work on chains of behavior today. I don't know about you. I don't get all thrilled. Well, the BCBAs do. They're like, yes, let's do that. I don't get all thrilled about that. But for me, <coughs> excuse me, as a parent, when I saw that my child you know, for me, language, spoken language in children was like this miracle that just happened, that kids just suddenly picked up language and they did it. And I had the expectation that I had a baby, he was going to do that too. And guess what he did? And then he didn't. And up a tree. What do I do? How do I teach him? Why did we lose this? Why, 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 why? Right? And so when someone said it's behavior, and he lost all of it. And we can get like all crazy about why, or we can work on the behavior. And this made sense to me. Do you know why? Because when I was 19, my dad had a stroke. My dad had been speaking. My dad was a brilliant man and he had been speaking and then he had a stroke and he accessed that part of his brain. It was swelling and he'd lost parts of it. And they retaught him to speak. He spoke differently, but they retaught him to speak. And he went on to be someone who could communicate fairly effectively. So that part made a little bit of sense to me. I was like, okay, I don't know what happened, but I want my son to be able to communicate. And like most parents, I wanted, I was tied to the idea of vocal because I didn't know all the other things. And then the reason why I like it from a behavior standpoint is that it doesn't just teach vocal. It teaches the individual where they are, how to communicate. Because I see some kids that are only taught vocal speech and they don't have gestures and they don't know how to read gestures and they, you know, they're missing a whole lot of communication, right? I'm not about that. And I see other people who, you know, won't allow their child an AAC device because they're like, we're going for the vocal speech. Well, science has definitely shown us what the deal is there. That if you teach functional communication, it helps all communication. And that individuals who are nonverbal, if, if we've tried quickly to see how, you know, what's the ability to access the, the vocal language, and, and if it's not there, then... Um, you know, if we switch and go to AAC, we're more likely to get to the vocal speech if we do it in that order. Um, so in any case, I've gotten way far ahead of myself, but this, so I, I want to come at this from the point of view of looking at communication as behavior, because behavior is infinitely teachable, infinitely teachable. So let's move on to our working definition here. Because uh, a lot of people will talk about and refer to their children as being nonverbal. And I'm not going to say that they're wrong, um, because there's lots of different ways of interpreting verbal and nonverbal, right? But I'm coming from the standpoint of the behavioral end of things. And if we say that behavior is communication, and if we agree with Skinner that it's only eight, the vocal is only 18%, then 
I, you'll hear people who will not refer to their children as being nonverbal. You will hear them refer to them as being non-vocal. I know. Very like, ooh, what are we talking about? Um, so for me, nonverbal behavior, uh, nonverbal is a lack of communication using spoken language, text, gesture, uh, gesture or sign. Because for me, um, where I have, you know, 16, 17 years into this community, what I've learned is that there are people who don't communicate vocally, but they can communicate their pants off. They can type, they can um, text to speech, they can sign, they can gesture there. And, and that form of communication is no less than how I am communicating with you right now. So for me, this is a little bit of a, um, a you know, a, a flag carrying thing that I want to make sure um, that when we're talking about it here, um, that we're, we make sure that we acknowledge that kind of communication. Does that make sense? I hope so. Um, and I see you guys have a bunch of things that we're going to get to. Even if we have to stay late, we're going to get to. Uh, but I'm so glad that you guys, it looks like you guys are getting it. Um, yeah, I am one says the disrespect is unbelievable in the society towards people with autism. It, it's it's crazy. It is crazy. Um, okay. So, um, but for those of you who are, have written in and said that your child is nonverbal, I want to say to you that there are lots of reasons why a child would be nonverbal. And there's lots of help and hope that if you work on this behaviorally, but it's, in, it's intensive and it's got to be rewarding to them. I, I, I want to go back, Traven, is there any way we can go back to the Skinner definition? Because what I the reason why I put it up there is that even though it's dense and I really want to make fun of it, but I love this idea of that in order for it to be communication, it can't be one-sided, right? It's it's that you're you're doing or saying something for it to have an effect on the other person and that there is some sort of a reward for you for having had that effect upon them. So when I'm talking to you. I, I want this to reach you. And then you write in and go, yes, that makes sense. Oh, I got a reward, right? It didn't just fall on deaf ears. So, and that's really how we want to think about communication is that I want something from you and I get something back from it that we're reinforcing the communication. So for those of you who've written in and said that your child is nonverbal, does your child communicate with you in any way? That's a great place to start, right? We always want to have functional communication. Is there a way that they can get their needs met? And if they can, are, you know, that's partially a reward, right? But the way we get to more communication is by really rewarding it, by really, you know, letting them, you know, know you, you, you pointed to that, you get it. You, you signed that, you said you wanted more, you get more because communication is gratifying. We want to make sure that we're making that clear. And then of course, there's many people who work with you on, um, there's so many things to talk about when talking about gaining language, but I want you to know it's possible that years ago, it used to be that the vast majority of people who were on the autism spectrum were considered nonverbal, nonvocal. And some of them were literally nonverbal, no means of communication, right? But the vast majority would have been put into one of those two categories. And now 
it, it's, I think we're down to like 12% of the population with autism that is over the age of like maybe say six is still considered non-vocal and that we're seeing that there's fewer and fewer cases of people being actually totally non-verbal, having no means of communication because absolutely everyone can be taught functional communication. And it's, it's actually a human's human rights issue that everyone needs to be taught um, vocal communication, not vocal communication, uh, functional communication. Thank you. Sorry. Uh, all right. We got to move on to our question of the day. And because uh, we got a guest that's waiting and she's so good. Okay. So our question of the day for you today, and you can be writing in, hi, Macy. So glad that you're here. How do you utilize nonverbal behaviors to tell someone no? So when you're going to tell, when you want to tell someone no, and you're, for whatever reason, you're, maybe you're not allowed to make sound because you're in a library or, you know, you're embarrassed or whatever. How do you tell people no? I am an ex school teacher. And so I know that the school teacher glare, right? <laughs> right. Um, but you know, sometimes I will gesture. How do you do it? How do you tell someone no? And I, the reason why I'm asking this is I think we need to get into this mindset that we all communicate in many ways. So we need to accept communication in many ways, right? Uh, so tell us how you, uh, oh, uh, Amanda uses sign language. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Write in, tell us how you communicate no. Because isn't this one of the first things that we want to teach our kids is how to communicate no? Yeah. Uh, just like one of the first things we want to teach them is how to communicate yes. And there are many different ways to communicate no and yes. And we want to be teaching all of them to all kids. All right. We're going to move on to our topic for the week so that we can get to summer. Uh, we're all waiting for, uh, and a lot of people are saying, uh, that they sign. I love this. Um, okay. Uh, well, okay. Here's, here's my question. The, the topic for the week is who are you listening to? Because we all are bombarded by information. And I think if there's one thing that the last couple of years have taught us that perspective taking in who we listen to, because depending on who you listen to, you might hear the same story from two different people and it's the complete opposite, right? And I'm not just talking about politics, but certainly I'm talking about politics. So um, who are you listening to? Because my next question is going to be, is it helpful? to you, who you're listening to. We all have a friend who's an Eeyore, don't we? Don't we all have a friend who's an Eeyore? And I love me some Eeyore friends and they serve a purpose and they're wonderful people. But sometimes when you're trying to climb Mount Everest, having Eeyore behind you telling you we're never going to make it at a certain point becomes non-productive. You know what I'm saying? And one of the things that I learned early on, and I don't know who said it to me, they were like, you are, you've already been carrying a bunch of baggage in your life. Everybody does. And now you're trying to get someplace with your son that is vital and important. It has a little bit of a time ticker on it where you don't have endless amounts of time to do this. You're going to have to drop some weight. And they weren't just talking about my hips, although that's always a thing too. They were talking about, you can't, take on everyone and everything, which is why very quickly, I know I've said this before on the show that I said to my mother, I need support or silence. If you are not down with the choices that I'm making, I'm going to ask you to keep it to yourself. 
because I don't have the space for it. So what I need right now is support or silence. Please pick, <laughs> but nothing else will work. And I was literally telling my mother, or I'll have to take a vacation from you because I just didn't have the bandwidth for it. And sometimes that's just the reality, right? So who are you listening to? Is it somebody who's building you up to help you to get where you need to go? Or is it somebody who's putting roadblocks in your way, telling you you can't do it, telling you that your child can't do it? Because you know what? That stuff is not helpful. So uh, support or silence, that's for the people you care about that you want to work to keep in your life. For the people who are just not helpful, who don't get it, I wouldn't even waste the breath to say support or silence. I would be incredibly, impeccably busy. Not forever. Not forever. Because you can always welcome those people back in when, you know, but right now you got a lot to do. I always say it's like your house is on fire. You got a lot to do. You can't be taking care of everybody else and taking care of their feelings. Support or silence. Uh, Emily says, I'm tired of people controlling my future. Let it go, Emily. Put that Disney song on and sing it for yourself. Let it go. Uh, all right. Jennifer, so glad that you're here. Yara MS, so glad that you're here. Hey, we've got to switch over because we're wasting Summer's time and her time is valuable. But Summer Hauser, Summer Dabs Hauser is here with us. She is a pediatric occupational therapist. She is the director, I didn't know this, of Fullerton Cares Autism Foundation. I knew she was a, a big part of it. I didn't know she was the director. She has worked with children with special needs for over 20 years. You're not going to believe that when you see it because she see her because she looks like a teenager herself. Uh, she is a former ABA therapist. I also didn't know this about you, Summer, and an instructional um, assistant in an autism designated classroom. She is married to the fabulous Larry Hauser, who we've had many times before on the show. He is the founder of Fullerton Cares Autism Foundation. Amazing dad. Uh, Summer is a mom to a very talented 17-year-old who is a senior, and I can't wait to hear where she's going to go to college. And she is stepmom to Boyd, who has been on the show before. In fact, I think Madeline has been on the show before too. Boyd is 14 years old now. It seems like yesterday he was on the show and telling me that it was his 11th birthday. So that's crazy that he's in eighth grade now. But currently, Summer is working in a private pediatric clinic, uh, treating children ranging in ages from 2 to 14. Uh, and they have a variety of different diagnoses, including there's Down syndrome, autism, and uh, sensory disorders, and other rare syndromes. So we welcome Summer, Summer with the beautiful red hair. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. It's so good to see you. It's been so long. <laughs> I know. I just, I like, I'm, 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 I, I don't know what the word is that I'm, I, it's like, oh my gosh. Summer is one of those people, if you go to any kind of an autism event, like, She's stunning with her beautiful red hair and you can always pick her out in a crowd because she's always the person with the most energy, the most upbeat energy. Um, and she's just one of those people that your, your heart goes, Oh, it's summer. Uh, and just like how we feel about the, the season summer is how we feel about summer. And she's amazing and, and a wonderful resource for OT. So first of all, summer, Thank you for, for being on, because I know we had to pick a day when it was a holiday. So thank you for taking your holiday to be with us. Uh, and they're saying that you are beautiful, and she is oh, inside you. and out, you guys. And and I don't think you've been on since you officially got married. 
Um, yep. So congratulations. Thank you. This was, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a much anticipated thing because when you see two people in the autism community who are special people and they get it and they get each other, um, just absolutely. And at someday we should just have you on and show pictures of your wedding because you had that fairy tale <laughs> wedding. We did. It was unbelievable. Oh, and our like, photographer like, was... Oh, girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you arrive on a boat... On it the is like, seriously... <laughs> and then there are there are pictures of them in the water on the beach with underwater photography and, like, craziness. Summer had the fairy tale wedding. Su- Summer gets to win for best wedding of all time. It was absolutely... I had to wait stunning. a long time for and that. And guess what? And, <laughs> And, and can I say that, like, you know, I think sometimes that people are like, oh, well, didn't they have what? No, everyone was so excited about this wedding because there aren't two nicer people on the face of the planet. Okay, so Thank I've you. said that. We've come out. Um, <laughs> but Summer, talk to us about, for people, because I this is a thing, we got to go all the way back to the beginning because people go, I, I have a two-year-old. Why does my t- child need occupational therapy? So explain to us, what is occupational therapy? Yes, a lot of people think I gain children jobs, right? <laughs> right. But um, right. No. Um, so occupations are really your everyday activities that you do every day in life. So those are your occupations. So I'm a mom. I'm an occupational therapist. I'm a taxi driver for my kids. I'm a dog owner. You know, all of those things that make up you are your occupations. So as occupational therapists, what we want to do is make sure that you are able to do those things that bring you joy, that bring you happiness, but also that get you through your daily life. So for kids, um, that's going to be playing. We want to make sure they can access toys and play appropriately and functionally. Um, for kids, also dressing themselves, grooming, self-feeding, all of those things that they're kind of responsible for as kids and do in their daily life, we want to make sure that they are most, the most independent they can be. And so when they come in to see us, we try and look at, see, okay, what is hindering that independence, right? So is it a strength issue? Are they uh, weak in their hands and so they can't hold a brush or, or toothbrush or things like that? Are they, um, do they have sensory issues? They can't brush their teeth because it's too much sensory input in their mouth and it's too much. Um, so we look at all of those things. Is it sensory? Is it strength? Is it just um, delay and being able to, to maybe motor plan out what they need to do? That sort of same thing. So that's what we really look at when they come in. And then as we're treating, um, first we make it really fun because they're kids, uh, but we also make it functional. So um, during our sessions, we'll do we'll play with like therapeutic. So we're strengthening those hands. We'll um, we'll play games with like tongs and that sort of thing to work on that fine motor. Um, so we really try and have fun activities for the kids to work on whatever it is that's hindering their independence. Does that make sense? It's, it's amazing. And somebody wrote in and said, OTs are the real MVP, uh, the most valuable player. And I, I don't disagree at all because I think when you have a strong OT who understands the world of OT, on your team, your your team is infinitely stronger because there are pieces that an OT is going to have that nobody else is going to have. I have run into people who get into these like very fixed boxes of OT. Well, I just do this and I just do that. There seems to be some old school rigidity, um, mm-hmm. Summer. But when we have somebody like you on a case, it's like, whoo, we're going to get someplace <laughs> we wouldn't have gotten before. I don't want you to have to like, because I'm sure you have nothing but love for your colleagues, but a good OT 
is, is so valuable. I, I know yes, you won't disagree with that. But what no. is the difference? Go, do you, go ahead, say something. Oh, no, I was going to say, that's actually why I ended up going back to Zola and going into occupational therapy, because I thought it was so important to, so let's say you have physical therapists, they're working on that gross motor and, and all that, you know, but I feel like OT, we're working daily life skills. What, how can we become more, or how can we make the child be more independent, which helps out everyone, helps the entire family when, when kids can be more independent with their daily living skills, which is really important. Um, I think you were going to, were you going to ask about the difference between school OT and medical OT? I was, but before that, I, I have to ask Trayvon really quick. We're having a little bit of difficulty with your sound, Summer, and I don't know whether oh. it's just on my end or is it on okay. everybody's end. We're hearing you. But it, we're getting a little bit of a rattly, I don't know. Um, but say something now. It might have just gone away. Okay. Is that better? Say something now. Some, it's is a little that, is that better? Uh, okay. I think, yeah, it's a little bit better. We'll press on because we can hear you and, and I, we want this information. So Summer, tell us what's the difference between medical OT and school-based OT? Because I think a lot of us... Um, yes. And uh, Trayvon's saying just to turn your mic down just a little bit. There we go. So a lot of us are confused about this. Um, that what is the difference between medical and what we're going to get at school? Right. So, um, I've had parents come into the clinic and say, oh, we're going to get school OT. So we need to come to the clinic anymore. Um, so we are two very different, well, not very different, but we, we handle two different things. So your school-based OT is going to be looking at how the child is able to access their curriculum in the classroom. So they're going to look at, okay, again, we go back to the basics. Is it a fine motor issue and they're having trouble writing and that sort of thing? Is it a sensory issue where they can't sit in their chair for more than, you know, a couple seconds or need some sensory support within the classroom? Are they unable to eat during the day? And who can learn when they're starving, right? So um, they're going to look at the same things we look at, but how it applies to their school day and how they can access their curriculum. Whereas medical OD, we are going to be looking at the dressing, the grooming, the self-feeding, um, the play skills, all those. Um, so it is two separate, two, two separate things. And I always encourage parents that if they are if they're coming to us for OT, get an email from the school district to see how they're doing in the classroom and see how their fun motor is and take a look at those because they may benefit from school OT as well. Yeah. I, and, I think and just Go ahead. I was just going to say really quick. Um, so our goals will be different as well. So our medical-based goals, we are not allowed to work on writing or using scissors or things like that. We're not allowed to make goals like that. That would be the school-based. So that, that, that's part as well. We can't, we, we're of course going to work on things that will help those, those issues with hand strengthening, with fine motor and all of that. It's going to help, but we can't make specific goals that are school-related. All of which makes me full on crazy because, you know, it, what it comes down to is funding and funding sources and the school's only going to pay for this and your medical insurance is only going to pay for this. Well, meanwhile, back at the ranch, what does your kid need? And it makes exactly. me crazy that we can't just talk about that. But I think as a parent, you got to you got to know that that for you, it's got to be about what does my kid need? And you have to understand how the system works so that you can work it to your benefit. Because I think there are a lot of people who are watching right now, Summer, who just went, wait a second, I can get OT at school for this stuff, but I could get OT at a center through my medical insurance for um, sensory issues because some CA just asked, do, do both the medical and the school work on sensory? And I'm wondering, 
like, I, I would think they both would, but on different things. Mm-hmm. Talk to us for a second. Right. So, um, so yes, because if they're having issues in the classroom that have to do sensory, the, the school OT can definitely work on, work on sensory. Um, and, and it may be providing something for the, the child that they can like a fidget or something on their chair that they can access if they need to. Um, it, they may need to hold them out, that sort of thing. But yes, as long as it's affecting their ability to access the curriculum, they can work yeah. on sensory in the school. So Amanda, just to put a fine point on it, when they're at school, because I think most of us only know school OT. Let's just be honest. Most of us, because school says, oh, we'll give you OT. And when they're at school, they do work on the handwriting, the cutting, and things of that nature, because those are school goals. But but what we're also expanding your brain to think about is that, oh, you mean my health insurance would also pay for OT in a center after school where we could also work on sensory issues and feeding and things like that. And my next question was, because we have people who write in all the time, Summer, who say that we have eating issues and limited diet. Is that something that that a, a good OT yes. outside of school can be working on? Yes, yes. And we also, um, so as a general OT person, me, um, I work on sensory feeding issues. So um, I'm not we also have, okay, as OT, we also have a certification that you can get for feeding and swallowing specialists. So there are OTs that specialize in feeding and swallowing. Um, they're looking more at structural issues, um, the motor plan, that sort of thing. Whereas I see more kids that have sensory issues with feeding. Um, so we're often looking at kids who are tactile defensive and, um, and that sort of thing. So that's what we are doing as general practitioners. Um, whereas the feeding and swallowing specialists are going to look more at the, um, at the oral odor and that sort of thing. Um, but yes, we definitely work on feeding. Um, I would say probably 30% of my caseload is, is strictly feeding. Um, I'm seeing it a lot right now. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, cause I, if you think about feeding, think about eating, it's the one thing that kids can really control because you can't force them, right? <laughs> so it's the one thing that get them really control. And sometimes I just feel like it becomes the bad at home and then it's even harder, you know, and, and it just kind of builds and builds and builds. Whereas we kind of come in and work on our sensory issues that we, that may be, you know, causing it in the first place. And we can give strategies to parents on how we can start to increase, hopefully increase their diet. It's a very slow process feeding. It's, it's really hard. It's hard parents because it's just like, can't they just eat? And they just want them to, to have things in their body. Um, but a very slow process, but we eventually get there. It's one step at a time. <laughs> yeah, it is amazing. I think it takes great patience, and I respect all uh, you know, all of you that are working on it, and some are all of the OTs that work on this so hard. But I, but the thing I always like to say, to people, is yes, it takes a really long time. But if in two years you could say, oh, that's not a problem anymore, that would be two years well spent. And if you ignore it, it's not like it goes away. So you might as well jump in and do the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But Amanda has brought up something that I think if we can take just a second to talk about, Summer, that a lot of people, she says, we didn't really pay much attention to the OT that was being offered to us at school because they were only offering like 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, So they didn't invest in it that much. So first of all, maybe if you could talk about like, what can you accomplish in 15 to 20 minutes that might be beneficial 
and or, you know, why parents should take advantage of that OT that's being offered at school, but but also maybe potentially look on it at, at after school or on the, mm-hmm. on the weekends yeah. even. Right. So, so, um, so what, how could, how, how might 15 to 20 minutes make a difference? Um, would you tell someone to do 15 to 20 minutes of OT at school? Absolutely. I always say therapy can never like OT can never hurt. It's just going to help. So if they can give your child in 15, 20 minutes, school OTs are amazing. They have tons of techniques and, and devices and things like that that can really help your child. Um, so if you think about 15, 20 minutes, even if just helping him like kind of fix his grasp and giving that practice at school, 15, 20 minutes is, is great. Cause I mean, you know, they're at school. So a, a child's not going to, you know, practice writing for an hour. 15, 20 minutes should be plenty for that. Um, but they have so many tips and tricks that can help out um, at school that I, I always say go for it. If you can, if they're going to give it to you, take it, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think especially when kids are younger, sometimes getting to get out of class for 15 minutes to go to the OT room to do something that's physical is like the best way to help your child to regulate because they, a lot of the younger ones don't have the capacity to sit endlessly. Um, uh, Now for other kids, it's a, it's a, I'm a big fan of the push in where the OT Mm -hmm. comes into the classroom and does things with them in the classrooms that help them to be able to access what's going on with the other kids. I don't, I'm, you know, sometimes the pullout is okay, but I'm a big fan of the push in as well. I'm as well because I think it's just that way too. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, Because then you're in their environment and you're also working with the teacher at the same time. The teacher can see what you're doing. They can support more when you're not there. You know, when those 10, 20 minutes is up, the teacher has now seen what you are kind of helping them and support and how you're giving them support in the classroom. Um, And then it, you, you always want someone in their environment, right? So, um, so I, I'm a big proponent for the push in as well. But you're right. I mean, some kids, some kids need so, a sensory break in the middle of the day. So going to OT, you know, if, if they're pulling out, I think some, getting some of that is great. There you go. So I think that the, the, the land of OT is perhaps the, I feel like parents just don't know enough about it and what it can do. Um, so tell us a little bit, Summer, about how can parents be more involved to help with the goals that, that OT are trying to do, how can we be a part of the equation? How do we help meet their support, their, meet their occupational goals? Yes. So I love to think of it as a team because one hour a week, we are going to introduce skills. We're going to work on those things. We're going to do all of that. But it has to translate into the house. And the way that that's the only way that that's going to happen is to let them have opportunities to practice the goals that we've worked on in the clinic. So we're working on putting on a shirt um, and it's really hard for them and you don't have the time in the morning. That's okay. It's life. How about in the evening when they're getting their pajamas on and it's not a rush time, let's try and practice what we have we've discussed and how we're going to have them put that shirt on, um, at a calm time when everybody's not stressed out and trying to get out the door. So really giving the kids opportunities at home to be more independent. Look, I'm a mom. I know this. We 
we know what our kids want pretty much before they even want it, right? <laughs> and it's a lot faster right. and easier right. for us to do it. <laughs> That's the trouble. So, yes, um, it is. So, we, so, um, so just really providing those opportunities at non-stressful times for everybody um, it really helps us out because then they're getting that practice and they feel good about it when they're, when they're getting more independent. They, they love it, you know, and when they're, we have little parties when they can put on their own jacket and zip it up. You know, we're like, woo So um, really providing those opportunities, knowing what your child's OT goals are. So it's going to be, I don't know, five to seven goals. Um, knowing what they are, if it's using a fork properly, let's make sure that they're trying to at least use that fork for half the meal before they go to fingers, okay? Um, and again, I know it's real life and we're on the move and it's fast. But we kind of have to take that time out to make sure that they're getting the practice at home because otherwise it's just not going not gonna to translate over. I have some kids who do a lot of this in clinic and then mom says they won't do it at home. They don't do it at home. Are we really giving them that opportunity and are we really fostering that over and over during the week? Um, and again, it, it, you have to find non-stressful times to do it. I get it. It's life. You know, we can't sit there and every day, um, you know, doing, working on things. But find time within the week to support those goals really important. Absolutely. I got to be fair to Amanda and, and, uh, give a correction. She wasn't saying that she was turning down OT. Uh, she always says just wasn't all that invested in it because it was only 15 to 20 minutes. Um, but she also was saying how important it is to follow through on whatever somebody's working on. So I think summer, you know, first of all, asking what are the goals, Mm -hmm. right? should be in the IEP and um, but, but it's not asking what are the goals in there, but asking how are you doing it? And I remember, you know, I had an OT. I, I, I hate to great person. I, you know, I had no disrespect whatsoever. She wasn't some. Oh, I just lost you. back. My okay. Now you're back. Am I back? Okay. You're back. Um, anyway, I was saying that the OT that we had when Jem was little, she just wasn't someone who was very vocal. So I had to excavate and mine and try to figure out. And for hours, she would have Jem laying on his stomach and she would uh, print out these like um, pages from a coloring book and she would give him a push pin and a piece of carpet and he would lay stomach and he would have to poke holes in the black lines. And I was like, why are we doing that? But finally, I asked her the question because to me, I was like, what? This is a waste of time. (laughs) And finally, I asked her the question and she said, oh, my gosh, well, we're working on his core strength because he has trouble sitting up and I can't get to the handwriting skill until he can sit up. So we're working on his core strength and we're working on his pincer grasp, which I then Googled that and I was like, holy crap, she knows what she's talking about. But before that, it seemed like a really ridiculous task. Um, And I was like, why? Why are we doing that? Um, So I want to empower parents. I know you and you probably are explaining that what you're doing to parents out the gate every every single time you're doing it. But but there are OTs that that they're not forthcoming unless you ask them. So I want to empower parents. Ask, why are you doing that? What's that for? What's that all about? Um, So that you'll know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we do work with the if someone. Yes, oh, go ahead. I was no, going to say, we're, um, we're, we got a little bit of a lag. You go ahead. 
Okay, I was gonna say the core, you'll see that OTs work a lot on core strength. It is, the belief is that the stronger you are um, proximally in your core, it translates out to your fine motor. So core strength is really important. It's important for school. If they're sitting, they can't sit at the, the desk and they're like this and they're trying to write, their writing's gonna be horrible, right? Um, so core strength is really important. We often are working on that, hit on that at every session as well because it is such an important um, thing to look at when you're looking at why kids aren't um, maybe have the best fine mode. We need to also look at core strength. Summer, I can't believe we're like almost out of time here, but this is such an amazing conversation because I think we've just started to open the floodgates of that there's a lot more that we could be doing with our kiddos if we knew what to do. So want to encourage everybody that it, what, what should we tell them? If you're getting OT already, make an appointment and have a consultation with the OT. What's a good thing to do? Yeah, so um, so an evaluation is the, is how you start. You generally need to get. Uh, I don't know if it's the same in every state, but generally you need to get a doctor to um, to um, submit for an eval. Um, you come in, get have an evaluation. We see if they qualify. Um, if they qualify for services, then we will. Um, your goals are listed right on the report you get. So right off the bat, we write goals, um, and then you they typically come once a week, um, usually about an hour uh, once a week, um, at least at our clinic. Um, and then we'll start treating. We'll you know communicate with the parent after every session um, to tell them what we're working on and uh, and how they can help at home. So um, that's generally kind of the way it works. Um, for, for, for the private clinic. Well, that's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it's supposed to work, Summer. And that's the way it works when it's a professional like you. But ask for it, you guys. Uh, I got one more quick question. They want to know, what, what does OT look like for older kids? Like a okay, so for older kinds of things. Yeah. So we're still looking at their independence. We're still looking at are their dressing goals and their eating goals and all that. Is it age appropriate? So when I say if they, if they are going to qualify for OT, that's what we're looking at. Are their skills age appropriate for, for daily living skills? And if they are not age appropriate, then we, we, we want to get them up to speed. So, um, so for nine-year-olds, it may be that. It may be that they still are having a hard time um, with with any of those needs that in their daily living activities. Um, and so we'll, we'll work the same things. We're going to work on that core strength. We're going to work on their fine motor. We're going to work on their sensory. What is it that's causing the delay? Um, and how can we assist them to get to a better place, more independent? And then with self-regulation, that would be a part of the sensory, right? Being able to regulate when they're getting upset yes. and calm themselves mm-hmm. down. Because I would yep. think mm-hmm. going into those preteen years, that would be pretty pivotal. <laughs> so it's always our goal. <laughs> it's always yeah. our goal to have kids start to understand and realize when they need some sensory input or something to help them regulate and what works for them. You know, so I always get so excited when they start to see out those things before they get to a place. I'm like, we are here. You know, they see, they feel it, they know what they need, and they are accessing it. That's huge. So always working on that as well. What they need how they can recognize themselves. 
Summer, you are a gift to our community. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm so grateful to know you. You Please make sure that you give your husband a big old hug and kiss from all of us I over will. here at Autism <laughs> Live. We can't wait to see you guys in person again. Please give your beautiful daughter and your beautiful son hugs from us as well. Uh, we Thank will look you. forward to uh, hearing about all the things. When is Fullerton Cares going back into like doing in public things? Is we anytime don't know. soon or not yet? Yeah, it's, it's still hard. Up and it's down, hard. though it's hard to plan. I know. You know, and we just don't know what's going to happen. I know. So, I, you know, I a know. lot of our kiddos that, that come to our events are medically fragile, so we have to be really careful and and just yeah. It's hard to well, say. Well, I appreciate yeah. that you guys are being careful, but that's when we'll know that we're really out of this when we can have a Mardi Gras with yes. Fullerton Cares uh, again. That will be that will be a day to look forward to. We will Absolutely. never. I don't think we ever took it for granted before, but take it for granted again because i i miss it i miss it very much anyway much love to you thank you we have to have you back again maybe in the summer when you've got more time but thank you for all your good work Uh, thank you so much have a good rest of your day bye-bye thank you bye-bye it's you guys, isn't she a ray of sunshine? Um, I'm so glad that we had her here. And I didn't ask her, but I need to ask her when she's writing a book because she needs, we need a summer book. Don't we need a summer book now? I want to go back and look at some of the comments that you guys made. Um, Holly said, does anyone else's kids do things at ABA, but not at home and vice versa? Yes, that's very common. And, and if that's like, sometimes we'll see that kids, for instance, keep it together at school and then they come home and have a meltdown. And the teacher goes, I don't know, the behavior is perfect at school. Or sometimes it's the absolute vice versa where they are, you know, having all kinds of difficulty regulating, doing their ABA and, and they come home and they're perfect. And But when that's happening, for me, what that means is that there's other stuff going on. And it means that we don't, we're not, we don't have equal and even contingencies. So for instance, when, for the kiddo who's doing well at school, but comes home and has a meltdown, there's a lot of things at play there. Like, first of all, that that's probably a kid who likes a certain amount of structure and school is structured. So they're coloring between the lines, but then they come home and there's less structure and which, you know, it's good to give them a little bit of time that's less structured, but that that's where they let go of all the things that they were keeping in during school. So oftentimes what we recommend is that there there's some sort of physical activity when they come home, like swimming or running or something that allows them to get all that, the yayas out, right? But then, then we go back to structured environment. It's just like babies that where we burrito them because they don't they babies when they first come out if you leave them not in the blanket tight tight they they feel like they're falling and it's the same thing you know structure is comforting to some of our kids we think of it as oh their whole lives are regimented but for them it's comforting i know what's going to happen i know what happens at 11:30 but i don't know what happens at 4:15 right so you know sometimes it means making a visual schedule at home about first you do this and you can put on the schedule this period of time from this to this this is free time where you get to choose whatever you want to do, but it ends at this time, right? Sometimes that helps those kiddos. But if your kiddo is, um, let's say that your kiddo is doing things um, while they're um, at the center for ABA, but they come home and it's not transferring there, that's an entirely different issue. That means that you 
got to ask for a meeting with the center and say, it's not transferring. It's not generalizing to home. What's the part of the equation that we're not getting? And it might just be that it's a transition time because your kiddo, let's face it, you have baggage with your kiddo. Come on, we all do. And they're, they are you like a fiddle. And so they go to the center and the people there are like, mm, I'm not responding to that. This, these are what the rules are. This is how we do it. And your kid quickly goes, okay, I'll do it your way. Um, and they get into that regimen and everything is fine, but they come home and they go, I don't have to do it that way because I know I can get away with it with you. And it's not because you're a bad parent. Oh, heavens no. It's not because you're a bad parent. It's because you've been doing a dance with your kiddo for exactly how many days old they are, right? And now you want to change something and your kiddo is like, I don't have to do it that way. It's worked this other way so long. But you can ask your ABTA team how to put it in place, how to get it so that what's happening at the center generalizes to the home and vice versa. It's a conversation. You want to have a conversation. We're going over because there's so much good to talk about today. Um, I'm just looking to see if anything else is on fire. I do want you guys, oh, sensory diets. Yes, sensory diets are good. Um, yes, I love how much you guys all loved uh, Summer. Isn't she fabulous? Okay, so I want to say that tomorrow, we have pre-recorded tomorrow's episode for Ask Dr. Doreen, so we're not taking any new questions for that, but I will tune in live to watch it with you. And, um, and she did answer all the questions that we didn't get to last week and all the questions that you guys had sent to me. It's an amazing show. I, I, we recorded it and I was so psyched when we were done. So just because it's pre-recorded, don't miss it because it's good, good stuff. And it's all the questions that you guys have been asking. We will have her back live next week. And then we're back here on Wednesday. I, we don't even have time, um, but we've got great shows the rest of the week. So thank you all for being here. I had such a lovely time with you, mm, right? Uh, we hold hands. Si se puede, right? So give your uh, kiddos a hug for me and one for you as well. And we'll see you tomorrow. Until then, bye-bye.